Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Grace Moments. I'm privileged to be joined by a remarkable guest who is coming here to open up about her story. This interview will be a little different for me in that she's actually the first person to be on this podcast whom I've never met, and her story is one I'm only recently familiar with. One of her representatives reached out to me and requested that I consider having her on. And I can say that after reading her insightful and moving book, Keep Looking Up, which she co-authored with her daughter, it is an honor for me to have her here today to share with us about how her life has been shaped by tragedy and how she's learned to transform that very tragedy into hope. I know you'll be inspired and informed by what you hear today, as it will be an honest discussion about mental health, grief, the impact of suicide, and how to move forward after a devastating loss. Here now is my conversation with author and motivational speaker, Carrie Conley. I first want to begin by thanking our guest today for coming on here to share her story. Carrie, it's such a delight to have you with us, and I know what we're going to be talking about today isn't an easy topic, and reliving what you've been through is probably still hard on some level each time you tell the story. So I appreciate, and all of our listeners appreciate you joining the podcast and giving us some of your time. Welcome to the Grace Moments podcast. I'm honored to be here, and thank you for asking me. I think I'd like to begin this conversation by simply saying that most of us never anticipate tragedy, yeah. even though we know that this world has suffering in it. There's a certain aspect of us that just doesn't think it'll ever happen to us or those closest to us. And when it hits, it's so unexpected. You mentioned early on in your book that you and your family had a hard time understanding others who experienced tragic situations mm -hmm. because it had never happened to you. Right. Why do you think there's such a disconnect among us when it comes to the existence and potential for tragedy in our lives? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I think that like you had just mentioned, Catherine, you know, we had a pretty blessed life. We just mm -hmm. really had a great, my husband and I met in high school. We went to college together. Uh, after we graduated college, we uh, both started our careers very successfully and then started our families. And uh, had my son and then my daughter and just had a ball. We had a great life. Mm. Um, and so it was hard for us to hear about other people's tragedies and connect to that um, mm -hmm. because we'd never been through anything. You know, we could, we could sympathize, but we couldn't empathize if that makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. We just had not walked in those shoes. And so it was hard for us to even try and imagine it or connect to it in some way or connect to them. And then after um, we lost my husband in 2014 to suicide, and then my son three years later also to suicide, it became a whole enlightening experience and really helped us understand how we had not been really, we'd not really had a real life, if that makes sense. We hadn't been through anything. And so one of the things as we talk about in the book, uh, my daughter Laurel and I co-authored Keep Looking Up in 2019, was that we needed to learn how to have a lot of grace and mercy with people mm -hmm. because we then knew that they didn't know what we now know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a mouthful, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of getting upset with people, not being able to connect with us on the level that we needed or expected, uh, we had to really realize that, you know what, they just don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. and just give them a whole lot of grace and mercy and a lot of love. 
because eventually we're all going to go through something. Yeah. Right. This may seem like an obvious question and I'm sure you've been asked it, you know, dozens of times, but I think it's one I probably should ask leading into kind of the heart of your story. The deaths of both your husband, Ross, and later your son, Cole, looking back, were there any signs that things were going downhill or any warning that things would ever end up the way that they did? <laughs> yeah, you, I've been asked about a million times. Yes. So, um, and the answers shift a little bit every time I answer them, Catherine, but here's the thing. Did I know that they were struggling with some things? Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, both of them in different ways were really struggling with their identity around their jobs and shifts that were happening there. Mm -hmm. And for men, I think I can generalize this. This is a big deal because so much of their identity is wrapped in what they do. Um, I think they both really struggled with their place in this world mm. um, beyond what I ever would have imagined. And I can only say that now in hindsight, right? Mm. Because a lot of it, and this is why it's hard to answer that question. I think people want the answer to this question because they want a little checklist. Uh, just mm -hmm. check it off the box. If you're seeing this, if this, this, this. And I wish that I could say I had that list. Mm. I can tell you, yes, I knew they were struggling. Yes, I was doing all I could. But did I ever imagined to the depth of the pain they were going through? No, because they were very good at hiding it for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, I, I, there are signs. And of course, you know, you do what you think you can do in the moment. Sure. Um, and then you learn a lot more afterwards. So like I said, hindsight is upside downside kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, there are things that I wish I could have looked for better, uh, knowing what I know now. Mm -hmm. Right. Take us back to the day when you first found out that Ross was gone. I can only imagine the shock you must have felt. Mm. Um, yes. <laughs> shock is a weak word. <laughs> um, it was totally uh, it's just I, I can't there's no word to define it, really. It's like everything goes, you know, surreal. Like mm -hmm. this isn't happening. It's like a dream. And it's like that for a really long time. And sometimes even now, even eight and a half years later, it still feels like, wow, I just can't even believe this is my life and that this happened. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and you just go into motion at the moment, just like losing anybody. Uh, suddenly you go into just full on, uh, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and doing what you have to do to get through it and to manage everything. And so that's really what it became was uh, a lot of, all right, so what are our next steps and who's going to help us take these next steps, which we learned a lot about. And we talk a lot about that in the book as well. Um, but it's a friend of mine said this to me and it really resonated with me, Catherine. She said, you almost, you live in bookend days for a really long time. That's true. Bookend, bookend days, meaning you wake up in the morning and you got to relive it all over again. And you go to bed at night doing the same thing. And it's like that for a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. Right. In the aftermath, well, I'm sure it was an absolute blur in a lot of ways, um, what ways do you feel you will both properly and improperly supported and assisted? <laughs> uh, so 
we one of the reasons we wrote the book is not to tell our story, but we we shared eleven chapters, Catherine, of what we learned in the journey, mm-hmm. um, in hopes to help other people going through their own adversity. Or, or and this is the bigger or, we had so many people and still do come forward and say, "I have somebody who's going through something, and I don't know how to help them." Yep. Right. So I'm going to share a couple of those things with them. One is to mirror what mirror to mirror what they are showing you they want and need and not what you think they want or need. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard for people because, you know, I'll use Laurel and I for an example. So many times people want to rush to you to hug you and cry on you and just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we just are not those kind of people, especially my daughter where, you know, touching and hugging and all that kind of stuff creates some, you know, form of like, uh, give me space kind of thing. Right. Um, and so when we weren't allowing that, it hurt people's feelings. I think that they couldn't be around us as much as they wanted to. And we weren't communicating with them and we weren't sitting and crying with them as the way that they thought they would want to be helped. Right. So that's the first thing is you really need to understand that not everybody wants what you would want. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, second thing is to really respect their space. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you, they need it more than, you know, because they're processing a lot. And when you enter their space, especially bringing in your own energy, now that person is feeling like they need to feed you Mm -hmm. instead of you helping them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that they think they're helping, but really what happens is that you're, they're taking whatever energy you have at all and just, (laughs) um, depleting it can be very depleting right mm-hmm. um and I think you know the last thing is just again when they tell you what they need and don't need to just really respect that mm-hmm. right closely tied to the last question in looking back are there things you can see you handled well and I use that term loosely because we know that with grief well is mm-hmm. sort of relative anyway Mm-hmm. But are there ways in which you feel feel you dealt well with the situation and other ways in hindsight you would do differently to equip yourself in case of another tragic set of circumstances? Mm-hmm. Again, we talk a lot about this in the book too. So um, we learned a lot from my husband's memorial service. Um, we invited the world. So we had over 200 people show up. Um, family members came in and I think that our family members would have liked to have been more involved. Um, and we did not involve them as much as I think they wanted to. Mm. And it's not that we did that intentionally, Catherine, it was an afterthought really of just us trying to just, again, maintain our energy, right? Because sometimes family members you think are going to be the biggest source of comfort for you, bring their own stuff. Right. Yep. Um, so I really protected that and I would probably do that again, but the one thing we shifted the most was how we handled the second memorial service of my sons. Mm. Instead of having, um, a public reception, uh, we, we did a public memorial service and then we had a private reception Mm. because again, you've got 200 people wanting to get their hands on you. Mm-hmm. And you just can't do it. Yeah. So the people who were invited to the private reception, we called them our super safe people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we whole chapter about that, about how we knew those people would respect how we wanted 
this to go down and how we wanted to remember Cole and how we ourselves, uh, how to handle us. They were very equipped in that. I had what I called gatekeepers, Catherine, in the second, second go around. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when my son Cole passed, there were two people that I allowed to stay in the house with us. And those people were the ones that did all the communication flowing in and flowing out. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 That's the thing we did. Well, and I can see that would be a real advantage because they can screen a lot of what's coming in Yes, and pass along to you what's essential for you to be able to take care of and know. Right. But, you know, if it's something that can wait for another time when it's better, you know, yes. or just let it go, they'd be able to help screen through that because I know that you know, in times in my life where I've grieved a loss, I mean, you, you are so consumed with trying to just function every day that it is hard to process and always kind of sort everything out mentally, you know, just trying to make decisions and all of that. I mean, it, 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 it affects that. And when you can have somebody else be part of your brain for a while and help to sort that out, that's a, a huge advantage. I can, I can definitely see that. Yeah. So, so you asked me a minute ago, what, what could somebody do now to prepare for any kind of adversity happening? And I will tell you the best thing you can do is get really clear on who those super safe people would be. Yeah. Yeah. No, now. <laughs> In your book, you title one of the chapters is leaving planet normal. And mm. I'd love for you to dive into that a bit deeper because I think there's a myth surrounding bereavement that at some point life will go back to the way it was before yeah. the loss, but for anyone that's lost someone close, we know that's definitely not the case. Yeah. There's a new normal that must be discovered and navigated in the aftermath. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Thank you for asking me that. I heard this yesterday, actually on a podcast I was listening to. Um, the one woman who hosts the podcast was coaching another person on the call saying, this person was saying, I just, I think she'd lost a child or something and said, I just want to, I want to go back to way the, the thing, the way things were. Mm-hmm. And she said, I hate to tell you this. It's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, she was living her life wishing every day that she could change it, which means she was stuck in the past and not really moving forward. And so the challenge for those of us who have suffered a loss like this is number one, you are never going to be the same, right? It's just not right. possible. Um, and the situation is never going to be the same you may be able able to re, uh, create new relationships mm-hmm. and new family, but it's, it's just going to be different. And so what we have to do is work through the grief, which never goes away. It shifts and it changes. Um, but there's always that lingering loss, of course. It's learning to live with that. Mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of work on that. Mm-hmm. learning to live with what is mm-hmm. and how do I use what I have been through to help other people mm-hmm. I think that's the greatest reason for us being on this planet to be honest with you mm-hmm. I think we all are given stuff that we are to deal with and choose to use it to grow and to help other people grow mm-hmm. yeah continuing with that idea of grief changing our concept of normal um, you mentioned a little bit that it's not just carving a new idea of normal and, you know, the sense of your, your relationships, your day-to-day life, but also 
now that someone special is no longer with you, you've changed and yeah. you're assuming a new identity. In a sense, that you're being forced to grow into a version of yourself that you never imagined. And you're not just grieving the loss of the person, but also the person you were before right. that tragedy hit. Um, right. Would you just expound on that just a little bit too? You know, what that's yeah. kind of looked like for you? Yeah, you know, you really, when you go through something like this, you really question everything. Uh, you question how was I in that relationship and what would I change? Um, you know, in my case, uh, losing a child, but still having a child here, uh, started questioning, you know, am I still a good mom? Uh, mm -hmm. was I a good mom? Mm -hmm. And what kind of mom do I want to be now? It's, it's very different with the different ages of the losses. Of course, my daughter was an adult when this happened. Um, so, you know, she and I had to grow a whole different relationship not as mother and daughter, but also as friends and coworkers and mm -hmm. collaborators. Um, I started questioning how I was showing up in the world as a speaker and a coach. Mm. Um, why was I doing what I do? And, you know, my topic is, is always been talking about the importance of vision, Catherine, way before any of this happened. Mm -hmm. Right. I've been talking about the importance of having a very clear vision for your life uh, from an aspect of mostly I was working with a lot of entrepreneurs on how to create business plans after they had their vision written. Mm. And then after losing my husband and my son, it became very clear to me that really the, re the reason I'm doing this is because of what I've been through. And so many people right now struggling with depression, anxiety, suicidal mm -hmm. thoughts, and so on. So I've shifted what that identity looks like and why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that while Ross and Cole's deaths were both by suicide. They were each um, very different at the mm -hmm. same time. Um, mm -hmm. Can you unpack that a bit about how each loss will often be as unique as the person that we're grieving? Yeah. Well, obviously it was different in age, right? Mm -hmm. uh, my husband, of course, was much older, had already succeeded in what he was doing. We'd grown our family. Um, he was very well respected in the community. Um you know, he was established in his sure. career. And so, and in the relationships that he had. Um, so losing him at that age created a ripple effect, you know, in his, he'd been in the same business, same company for almost 25 years. Mm -hmm. So there was that impact. And then the impact within our church uh, that we had gone to for forever. Um, you know, there was a lot of years. And in hindsight, I think my husband had been having suicidal thoughts for a much longer time span than my son, mm. just in the way that he had handled things before he took his life. Mm -hmm. um, my son, on the other hand, was very young. You know, he's 25. He just started his career. He was only two or three years into it um, and trying to figure stuff out. Is this really what he wanted to do? Because really wasn't happy doing it. Um, but very anxious about making the changes because, you know, he was, had just come out of college not long ago. And so he thought he was on the right path, wrong, right path. And lots of question marks about his future and the way that he, in the way that he took his life, it was, I think it was much more, well, I, I think he panicked quite frankly. Mm -hmm. I think it was a moment of sheer, just, he just snapped. 
Um, so very different in how their lives were obviously by age and all the things, but also in, in how this all played out. I'd love for you to talk about the emotions of grief a bit. I think mm -hmm. for all of us, there's some things that we expect, the sadness, the tears, Sure. But there are also many other forms that grief can take, the depression, exhaustion, you know, brain fog, insomnia, anger. And I'm sure that would be um, all of the above, a more prominent one, you know, the anger and stuff when you're dealing with something like suicide mm -hmm. versus just somebody died of a terminal illness or something. Can you yeah. sort of paint a realistic picture for our listeners about the emotional roller coaster of grief and what you've learned sort of through that yourself? Grief specifically lost to suicide or grief just overall? Of in general and also, you know, in your situation too. Yeah. Well, the one biggest thing I can tell you is that it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think people need to know that um, because so many times people want to paint a picture of your, okay, you're going to go through this phase and then you're going to go through that phase. And it's not linear like that at all. It's more <laughs> cyclical in a lot of ways, it's isn't it? all over the place. And yeah. Just when you think you've conquered one emotion, there'll be another one, right? Yeah. Um, I'm five and a half years out now from losing my son and I've got all new things happening now that I'm dealing with. So um, for some people, it can be anger. I've never experienced a lot of that emotion, mm. um, but I know a lot of pe people, especially parents of children um, and losing children, uh, depression, definitely sadness. I, I think the big thing is, is, is exhaustion. Mm -hmm. I really don't think we give that enough worth. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because as adults in this, in this culture, we are taught to just pick it up and move on and keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be okay. It's all right. Until one day you just wake up and you're just like, I'm just flat tired. And I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Right now. I think exhaustion is a big one comes mm -hmm. and you have to expect the waves. Yeah. Something hitting you out of nowhere. Right. One thing I think a lot of grieving people struggle with is the insensitivity of others surrounding the loss. And you kind of touched on that just briefly a little bit. It's, it's not that people necessarily mean to be hurtful or insensitive, but so many of them, like you said earlier, just don't know the right thing to say or, to do to be genuinely helpful from your perspective how important is it to have those super safe people you were talking about and and discern how to who can really serve you in that time and how to deal with those that just you know don't get it yeah um well if you have I'll just say this two people that you call super safe you're doing well um just make sure they know that they're your super safe people mm -hmm. um and I think how to deal with the others um, is a couple of different ways. One is just kind of shutting down communication for a little while, if you can. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can't, just remove yourself from it uh, or inorganically just let it fade. There might have to be a, um, some sort of communication around, hey, and instead of pointing fingers and saying, you're making me feel like this and I don't like you doing this. And Hey, I don't know if you realize you said this and it really, it really, um, hurt me. 
I have always been taught that the best thing I need to do is just own how I'm doing and communicate that. Mm -hmm. Um, So for example, I would just probably say, Hey, I know you don't know this because you're not going through what I'm going through right now. And I know, I know you probably have gone through your own stuff in your own way, but right now I just need a little space Mm -hmm. to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think probably also, if that's not enough for somebody being willing to send, set a harsher boundary, if you have to, to be able to just protect that space, you know, because sometimes people can, um, people could think they're giving you space, but it's still not to the degree that you're needing or right. for the length of time that you're needing. And they can grow frustrated that you're not over it yet. You're not past yeah. it. We're not moving forward like we always did, you know, et cetera, right. et cetera. And I've heard that sometimes myself when I've gone through, you know, a grieving process for people yeah. I know where some people, it just, you know, you, yeah. you have to be a little bit more direct with them and, and um, set, firmer boundaries if the situation requires it. I want to bring in your faith a little bit. Um, I know that you've walked with God for many years, but I'm sure your faith was both shaken and changed in the aftermath of both Ross and Cole's deaths. Can you walk us through the role that your relationship with God um, looked like and how that was impacted by your grief? And, you know, did it help in certain ways or did you find yourself distancing from him for a while or you know, just what did that whole journey spiritually look like for you? Well, it's evolved, um, a lot and it's been different with both losses. Uh, when I lost my husband, we were very involved in the church because we had been, our kids had grown up in it. They had gone to uh, school there for a big part of their life. Uh, lots of small groups, you know, very ingrained Had the memorial service there um, the whole thing. And afterward, Catherine, I never went back to the church because, Mm. um, because when I would show up anywhere that my church friends were, I could see immediately that they were wanting to react to me in a way that wasn't going to help me. Oh, yeah. Um, so I had to like, okay, just block, just remove myself from that. Right. Mm. And not just the church. It was the same thing with walking around my neighborhood, going to the local, local grocery store, you know, people just, I could see their face and what was coming. Mm. Um, so I just had to kind of like remove myself from that. Mm -hmm. Um, so with regards to, of course, so I went inward and did a lot of talking to God and, built a new relationship at a new church because my son and I moved to Arizona from Denver after all this happened. Uh, and so when he passed, I thought surely God is not going to allow this to happen a second time. I mean, one is enough, right? So I really trusted that this was not going to happen again. And so when it did, I was like, all right. And I had to remove myself from talking to God for a little while. Cause mm-hmm. I just had to figure out like how in the world, could he allow this? And then I slowly but surely started going inward again and learning more about how God works and what his purpose is. And now I just know that, you know, it's, it's his will. It's not mine. And there's a reason all this has happened. And I just have to rely on that. And as I said earlier, just look to, okay, how do you want me to use this God? 
This is why we um, titled the book, Keep Looking Up, um, because the last chapter, Laurel and I do talk about our faith and the fact that we know that this, this time here on earth, thank goodness, is just a blip, mm-hmm. right? And we know where we will be and we know that we will be with them, you know, for eternity. Mm-hmm. How important is it to give yourself grace for where you happen to be in the healing process after loss? It's everything. <laughs> um, compassion is huge. You just have to, instead of saying to yourself, why can't I get past this? Uh, why am I so sad today? I'm, you know, this has been years and I'm still going through this. You know, it's, it's, you just have to like truly love yourself as much as you would love anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that I think is a part of the process of grieving, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, that's been quite a journey for me specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I've learned from personal experience is that while there comes a time when the pain doesn't sting quite as badly and you're not as raw as you once were, the grief never totally leaves. Like we were talking about earlier, it's, it's not like you just wake up one day and suddenly everything, you know, feels like it did before. Um, you'll always be grieving on some level, you know, Mm -hmm. when you've lost somebody important to you. Um, how does that even all these years later still playing out a bit for you? Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I think it comes down to is you just miss them. Yeah. Is really what it is. Um, so how it plays out, as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, you know, my daughter got married a year after Cole passed, and then a year later got pregnant. And so now she is a uh, a young mom with a almost three-year-old and about to have the second baby. And you know, it's just wishing they could be a part of that to use sure. as, that as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of what it comes to is that, you know, I don't wake up with the weight on me that I did early mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a thing you carry around experiencing life. Mm-hmm. I'm wishing they were there. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. What are some things surrounding suicide, you know, myths, if you will, that you'd like to clarify for the listeners today, um, help them understand a bit more just what to be aware of or how to find the right help for somebody that, you know, might save their life or, you know, someone else's. Uh, well, if my daughter were here, she would tell you first thing, everybody needs a counselor. Mm. Uh, even if you aren't having these depths of darkness thoughts, Everybody has stuff they need to be talking out on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have turned around to, to agree with her that it's the sooner people talk, the better, mm-hmm. um, especially if they're in a, in a place where you can tell they are something's different. They're off. Um, they may not be verbalizing it, but you can sense it and to start getting them talking to you as soon as possible. And to not be afraid to ask the tough questions. Yeah. There's a myth that if you ask somebody, are you thinking about taking your life that you are then planting the seed? And, and I believed that and now know that's a, so not true. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm encouraged in our culture right now, Catherine, especially after COVID and everything we're all mentally going through right now, mm-hmm. 
that I think people are more willing to understand that it's okay to be okay and to start talking to each other more about what's really going on and how we're really feeling. Mm -hmm. It's critical, I think. Yeah. Yeah. In one of the later chapters of your book, you talk about the importance of owning your story, however difficult it might be. Everyone has a story of some sort and everyone has chapters of that story that are hard or even traumatic for them to claim. What have you personally learned about sort of owning your story and how have you been able to turn that story and just all its ugliness into something beautiful that gives hope to other people? Mm-hmm. I talk about stories a lot in a lot of different contexts uh, because of the coaching that I do and have done. One of the things I get people to uncover is what it is that they are saying to themselves that they now believe to be true for them mm. um, in every year of their life, their family life, their faith life, their financial life. Um, you know, we all have beliefs that we have taken on that we believe to be true that really aren't true. Mm-hmm. Um, beliefs of who we are, uh, beliefs about our worth or lack thereof. Um I'm doing a call later today, specifically around stories around money, what we believe about money and our stress around it and where it comes from. So stories means that it's something that you have learned or been told, most specifically as you were growing up, that you have now identified as being true for you that really isn't. Hmm. So again, with going through a loss, you start questioning a lot of these things and you start uncovering that. A lot of the things that you believed about yourself aren't really true and what really, and and you have to go to work at identifying your own truth, Mm -hmm. not what everybody else told you to be or to do, but what's real for you. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, I think if people knew this more and really followed through with this, I think we would have a lot less depression than we do. I would have to agree with you. Yeah. And I, and I think that oddly enough, periods of suffering in our life often expose those faulty beliefs yeah. in a way that, you know, more average everyday life doesn't where right. when we're at a rock bottom moment, right. We start seeing what some of those lies are that we've told yes. ourselves about mm-hmm. ourselves and life and God and all those things. I talk about that a lot in the podcast that, um, you know, what you repeatedly think about good or bad, you know, neurologically, there's proof that that, that sticks with you. That is who you become. That's what you manifest in your life. And that, um, oftentimes when hard things happen, it exposes and, and forces you to question those things and, and forces you to work through, you know, if those things are true or not. Right. Within the context of your faith, um, you touched a little bit on this earlier with um, just the hope that you have of being reunited with your loved ones. How does the concept of that assurance impact how one grieves? You know, the whole idea of not mourning as those that don't have hope. Hmm. You know, I've said this many times and and other people who have the faith that I have say the same thing. I honestly don't know how people would get through this grief without that knowing. Yeah. It'd be super hard. It would be impossible if I did not have this faith right now. Mm -hmm. If I thought this was the end, oh my gosh, 
it, it, I just don't even know. Um, the other thing about this is that I also know that because they are eternal, they are also still here. And the other thing that gives me a whole lot of peace is knowing that even though they're not here in the physical form, they are very much still with me mm -hmm. and with my daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and I have put myself around a lot of people who have, have the same beliefs around mm -hmm. that and have taught me a lot about that. That there's almost like there's spirits with you in your heart, um, yes. you know, continuing to encourage and, and right. you know, comfort and inspire you on some level. Yeah, there. I've learned, like I said, a lot about this, studied a lot about it. I've had a lot of people show up organically in my life that also know this to be true um, and give me a lot of insights. Um, and, you know, the thing I look for every day now, Catherine, are signs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I get them when I mm -hmm. ask for very mm -hmm. specific signs that they are here, that I'm going in the right direction. Uh, it's just, it's just wild. Mm -hmm. how it happens so energetically i know they are still here mm -hmm. guiding me through all of this yeah mm -hmm. i knew this question is simple and complicated at the same time but how does one move forward after tragedy has derailed their life how do they find it in themselves to live again after a part of them has died too right um well, first thing is, again, you have to accept that the past is the past. Mm -hmm. You cannot change it. Just, you cannot wish it to be true. It's mm -hmm. right. We can all agree as humans, it's just done. It's past. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have to, we have to agree to, to own that. The second thing is that we have to be open to, uh, for lack of a better word, reinvent ourselves. Yeah. Right. Uh, to be open to new opportunities, to be open new to a new future, to be open to whatever. And that takes giving yourself some space to allow that to happen because it doesn't happen overnight. And the third thing, and this is the thing, this is my whole career stands on this, Catherine, is you have to have a very clear vision for your life, for the future. Mm -hmm. Very, very clear in every category of your life. And when I specifically work people through my course or a workshop or something, I get them to think three years out. Oh, yeah. And to think about how old they will be and how old their family members will be that are involved in their life. Um, because time and aging are, are non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. And when I get people to zero in on a target and think about that, I get them to describe to me in writing what they clearly envision for their life and want and their desires. Because yeah. without having that anchor, it's really easy to get stuck. Yeah. And everything that I've been through, including this, the way that I have moved through it and putting one foot in front of the other every day is because the vision that I hold of where I'm going and what I'm doing is bigger than the stuckness, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Right. In all of the unexpected aspects of your story, how has the grace of God become real to you on some level? Well, I know that he, no matter how 
well or bad, I'm handling this, that he is giving me a lot of grace and loving me through it, um, even on my worst days. And that belief is um, something that I can then embody and give to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the whole calling as um, Christians, right? Is that we are to be the light for other people. Mm -hmm. So I have to, in order to be that light, I have to first accept the grace, uh, which is not always easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. I always love my guests um, when they come on to ask them if there's a certain quote or a Bible verse or just a theme that they've drawn strength from and would best sort of describe their journey. Um, what would that be for you, Carrie? Uh, okay. So we, our Bible verse after my husband passed that we held on to. I'm hoping I'm quoting this right. Is second Corinthians four, 17 through 18. And it's the verse that talks about how this, this, what we're in right now is just temporary mm -hmm. and how we are to fix our eyes on what's eternal mm -hmm. because what, where we are right now is just fleeting Catherine. Right. Mm -hmm. So we just have to keep our eyes on, on what's on the other side. Mm-hmm. As we begin to wrap up our time together, if people listening want to find out more about your book or your speaking or your story, um, what's a good way for them to get in touch with you and be able to learn more? Yeah, thanks for asking. You can just go to my website. It's just carryconley.com. Okay. Uh, it houses all the books, my courses, uh, to sign up for my weekly free newsletter I send out, an email, all the things. Great. I'd love for you to just leave our audience with some closing thoughts of encouragement in case anybody's listening that's either gone through a tragic situation or maybe is currently supporting somebody who is. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any words of hope that you could share with them as we close? Yeah. Do what's real for you and be around people who are allowing you to do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just because one person is handling it one way is not the way you should be handling it. So I think it's really, really important that you understand that this is your journey and to honor that, to give yourself a lot of space and try not to rush it. Um, and to really make sure that you are constantly taking care of yourself and you are around people that are lifting you up every day. They're going to be there for you no matter what. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you, Carrie, so much again for coming on today and opening up about your heart-wrenching story and just all that you've gained and learned through it. I know your wisdom will benefit our listeners in ways um, we may never know. Mm, I hope so. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, today's episode has certainly been both a sad one, yet a hopeful one at the same time. I hope you've come away with a better understanding of the topic of suicide as well as a better overall grasp of loss and grief in general. My prayer is that you will take Carrie Conley's words to heart and they will both inform and encourage you in any present or future tragedies you or someone you know may face. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to Grace Moments and pass the word along to anybody else you know might benefit from this podcast and its content. I'm able to be reached at all my social media accounts listed in the episode description as well as my weekly blog at www.graceopens.blogspot.com. I pray you'll know God's peace, hope, and love in a special way this week. I'll see you next time. And until then, always remember, 
that grace will meet you where you are.